0: In the name of God, Most Merciful, Ever Merciful, and may God's Peace and Blessings be upon His Holy Prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and project. Allahumma <laughs> ala Muhammad Ali Muhammad Okay brothers, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh So this is our first gathering since uh, we took a break for the month of Muharram, the season of Muharram and we had one gathering where we went a little bit over the same topics that we addressed in the nights of Muharram and now we want to go back to the series of lessons, discussions, call them what you want, uh, that have to do with our belief system. So if you remember correctly until now we discussed mainly the proofs for the existence of God, the attributes of God, and we reached the attribute that we refer to as divine justice, and we said there are a few topics that are usually discussed in there. The first topic uh, has to do with, there are two topics that are related very closely to the topic of divine justice, uh, and those are what we call al-qadah wal and al-jabur wal So al-qadah wal is predestination, and predeterminism. We talked about that. We said to what extent is our life predetermined? Uh, that to what extent can we believe in a destiny? Can we change anything about that or not? That's one topic that's closely associated with the topic of divine justice. And the second one has to do with free will. Do we actually determine our own lives or are they prescribed for us? And I'm not going to go over those two topics, but obviously you can see how they're interrelated. So one of them has to do with the extent to which we control the factors, circumstances, elements of our lives. The second one has to do with the way the world is created, and that includes human beings and us in it and to what extent everything has been predetermined or not. And we said the short, in very short, we said that the manner in which the world has been created, there are many, many items, factors, elements in it that have been predetermined. This is part of the divine architecture construction. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decided a number of factors for us. And within our own lives, we also have been given a window, a playground, where we have freedom of choice. We have a free will to act as we need to act. And the reward and the punishment that we get, everything we talk about as, you know, where human free will plays, is based on only those aspects that we control. And the rest, the stuff that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one controlling, that he has predetermined for us, we're not responsible for that. These are the preconditions that have been imposed on us in our lives. So, those two topics, you can go back and review them, Inshallah, the, the jalsat will be uploaded very shortly. There's someone working on that as we speak, so there's ten of them that should come very quickly. Uh, so, if you need to go back, there's one lesson, I think, where we talked about al-qadah wal qadar and one lesson where we talked about freedom, or free will, or freedom of choice. And the last topic, the big topic, and the one that is the most directly associated with this theme of divine justice, or to say it in a more modern way, the problem of evil in the world. So, if we look around we see that there are all sorts of issues and problems and difficulties that we encounter in our lives and that we notice in the universe in general just the manner in which the world exists it's full of challenges and difficulties and problems and 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 so that includes all sorts of natural phenomena and that includes human behavior that is considered evil so if we look at that then how can we make that reality of these problems in the world that we call the evil, the problem of evil in the world, how do we make that compatible with the belief in a God? Especially the kind of God that we presented with the attributes that we presented. So if it's a powerful God, if it's a knowledgeable God, if it's a God that has free will, if it's a personal God, then why would he create this type of world? A world that is filled with difficulties and problems and, in short, evil. And we gave to a certain extent all the elements of an answer to that so today what I wanted to do to start with is make sure we understand why this topic is important and I think this is a little bit based on something that was said last uh, time we met which is making sure that whenever we present something we understand its ramifications or its applications or its relevance to our lives so that it doesn't stay as a theoretical topic. So, for this one, I thought, let's take a little bit of time to understand why we're spending so much time on this topic. And once we do that, then I'll go over and recap. I'm not going to go through all the details, but kind of a recap. Some of it is going to be a little bit repetitive, some of it is not, inshallah. And I'm going to keep the crux of the main concrete arguments question and answer, objection and answer, to next week, to next gathering. Okay, so this problem of evil in the world, we're gonna... we need... there. there's a reason why we covered this stuff, so I wanna make sure that it's clear, because the answers we're gonna give, we're gonna build on them. And in, in reality, the answers we're gonna give to the very specific questions are all gonna come out of the answers that we're giving today. So if the topic of today's discussion, the points for today are well understood, the rest should derive out of it very logically. And this is something I think that we've tried to do all along. Whenever we present something, we want to make sure that it's presented in a rational, logical manner. And there is something that was said last time we met also, that stayed with me, and I'm still thinking about it. Intentionally, from the beginning of this series, we've emphasized the rational arguments. And this is not because if you go back to the Holy Quran, we do a little bit of tafsir or we go back to to the tradition, the narrations of the Holy Prophet and the Imams, we don't find this. In fact, we find all of this and a lot more and it would be very, very interesting discussions if we actually presented the hadith and went through them to see how concise they are and how much information they contain if you understand what they're saying. Um, but the reason why we're doing it this way is twofold. The first is that if we do it that way it becomes a little bit heavier as a lesson, and then it becomes heavier for you to remember. Because it's going to require for every time that you want to think about a topic to go back and remember all the verses of the Holy Quran and all the narrations of the Prophet that have to do with a specific topic and then have them in mind, understand what they're saying and that opens a whole can of worms. That's one. And uh, so the main reason is if we present it in a logical, rational manner, then hopefully if it's understood well enough, if it's really digested as a subject matter, then you should be able to much more easily present the information to yourself or to anyone else if you need to. That's one aspect. And the second one is we always have to be careful And this is why I didn't want to go into that. Uh, We have to be careful when we refer back to the Holy Quran or the narrations when we want to establish proof for beliefs. If I have not yet established all of these premises, if I haven't established that there is a God and that there is a messenger and a prophet and that he was sent with this message And that part of this message is the Holy Quran, and that there are also narrations that come. If I haven't established all of that before, I can't just jump into a discussion with someone and say what the Holy Prophet said. To you, that's the Holy Prophet, but to them, that's not. So, there's a distinction to be made, depending on who I'm talking to, depending on what they consider to be truth. I can't just jump into the, if the person does not... Recognize the Holy Quran as having any authority as a a valid source of revelation You can't use the Holy Quran as an argument in itself, but if the person does then you can use the Quran so and this is Something that's very nuanced because sometimes We may use the Quran We may use a narration of the Holy Prophet, but this is not to say that we are relying on them as an authority to say That it's true or valid What do we mean? Sometimes the Holy Quran will say, for instance, Have they not looked at the camels, how they've been created? So someone may use that and say, So there's a necessity for us to look at the manner in which a camel has been created, and then we do look into it, and we find all sorts of things that are miraculous or almost miraculous. The design, the precision, and so on and so forth. If I do that, I'm not really saying that this is miraculous but because the Qur'an said so. I'm saying the Qur'an pointed me to something, so I'm also mentioning it, but the argument is not a Qur'anic argument. This is not valid because the Qur'an says it's valid. The camel is not miraculous because the Qur'an said it's miraculous. Anyone who looks, whether they believe in the Qur'an or not, if they look at the camel and they study it enough, they'll see that there's too much precision and design in it to think that this happened randomly. Okay, so if in a case like this, I mentioned the Quran or anyone of you mentions the Quran There's a distinction to be made when a proof is coming from religion If it's coming from the Quran from a narration I have to distinguish is it is the proof that it is coming from the Prophet Is that the entire weight of that argument? If that's the case then you can only use it for with someone who has accepted the Prophet or the Quran before if I'm not presenting it in that manner, I'm just saying it points. It, it pointed to me, it told me go look there, and I went there and I looked and I did find something, that something is the argument, and not the pointing to. Okay? So these are two different ways of using the Qur'an and using the narrations. Anyways, this I mentioned just to keep in mind, I, I know some of you are interested in this. All this to say, this is the reason why we have not used the Holy Qur'an and the narrations until now. And there was an interest, let's say, last time we met, to talk more, to be acquainted more with our books of narrations, with the Holy Qur'an. And So I'm not forgetting that. I'm gonna think of the best way to incorporate that in the, in these discussions, or maybe add another component and cut this one shorter. Okay? So, keep all of that in mind so let's go back to our topic we said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created this world and yet when we look at this world it has some evils in it or what we can summarize under the general heading of evil problems, difficulties, challenges, things that we don't really understand why they're there and we gave answers and we're going to recap them but I'm also wanting to Emphasize more the importance of the topic itself Why has this topic become important in Islamic studies? That's one and we gave a partial answer to this so I want to complete it And that's more theoretical. So that's for those of you who are more interested in that history and theory of that and Then more for us. Why is this topic important for any believer if you are a believer or not just a normal human being who wants to think about this topic of evil in the world, why is it important that you actually do spend time and put in a little bit of effort to make up your mind about this problem, about this issue? It may seem that it's very theoretical, it's very philosophical, but it's actually very important and determining for you as a human being where you position yourself with regards to these evils in the world. How do you view these evils? How do you interpret them? Because depending on what you, where you land and what you decide is going to change the way you view the world, you interpret the world. Okay, so here I have uh, five, seven, seven quick reasons why this topic became important and possibly why it may be important for us. The first one, this is the one that I didn't want to spend too much time on. I think we explained it enough and it may not be relevant to all of you. So I go over it quickly unless there are questions about it. This heading in Arabic is usually called Al Adl al Ilahi. This whole topic that we're talking about, these three subtopics so, Al Qadr, Jabr, Tafweel, so freedom, free will, no free will, and the predeterminism or dest- destiny, predestination of the world, too, and evil in the world. These three topics are usually studied under the heading of Al Adl. So today, when you're very young and you're learning your pillars of religion, you're told that there are five of them, and you're told that Tawheed, Al-Adl, Al-Nubuwa, al imama Al-Ma'ad. So the second one is Al-Adl. And Al-Adl, if you study Al-Adl, these are the three topics that you study under it. Of course, there's many other minor issues that are studied, but the big ones are these three. So we said Al-Adl al-Ilahi, as its name indicates, is basically saying that God is just, or that's why we call it divine justice. But if you think about it, divine justice should have been studied under Tawhid, because in Tawheed we study the existence of God, and once we establish that that God exists, we study His attributes, His traits. What kind of God is it? So if we're saying, and this is also a just God then we should be studying it along with he's powerful, he's knowledgeable, he's wise, he's merciful, and we went through a list of them, the big ones we covered here. So why didn't we study justice as part of that? And why did it become its own asl? Usool al-deen, right? al became its own asl, as opposed to being under Tawheed. So, without going into the entire discussion again, we basically said one of the reasons why is because of the historical events that took place in early Islam. For a couple of centuries in the beginning of Islam, the scholars of Islam had a huge disagreement between themselves, to the point where people were now being distinguished as though they're following a different madhab, depending on whether they believed in divine justice or not. So if you were someone who ends up saying that, and adl, is a, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala adil, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala la yaghlim, okay, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not commit injustice, and Allah is just, then you are going to be referred to as adli, you are part of the adliya, otherwise you're not part of the adliya, because of that, you can imagine, obviously, that created huge issues, socially, theologically, culturally, for a very long time, so that, Notion of Adl-Ilahi was basically promoted to being its own Asl Because before I you know, I cannot just lump everything together under Tawheed and then I won't know wh- where you fall in matters of Adl. So I force you to p- take position by making it a very high profile, right? I raise the profile of Adl to the level of Tawheed and Nubuwa and Ma'ad and the same thing can somewhat be said about imamah, we'll come back to that later. Okay, and that's why we've said that the big pillars are 3 the tawhid, the Al-Nubuwa, Al-Ma'ad. And Adl is really an extension of Tawheed. And imamah is really an extension of Nubuwa. Okay, so the first reason is historical. And that's the one we said it may not be that relevant. Okay, so let's put it aside. The second reason we study whether Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala is just or not and we try to see what are we supposed to believe when we're looking at the evils in the world. The second reason is we need to have the correct belief system. This for instance this gathering here the whole point of this gathering is to go over our belief system. What do we believe in different matters and of course? This is not supposed to be a very extensive detailed course So you know it's not hundreds upon hundreds of lectures. We're giving an overview of the big topics So this is one definitely of the big topics, and how do we know it's a big topic? We don't only look at what happens internally inside our religion. We look at a human being When they're going through life, what are their big questions? And the problem of evil in the world is definitely one of the big questions. Okay? So, keep that in mind. We want to build the correct belief system. We need to position ourselves with regards to the evil in the world problem. Or, what we're calling divine justice. Third reason. The third reason is, again, it may or may not be a little bit theoretical for some of you, depending on how well you understood the divine attributes when we talked about them. The divine attributes discussion, so when we talked, let's say, when we said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raziq, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hakeem, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is wise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives sustenance. That topic is incomplete until you have taken position about whether God is just or not. Is he raziq, does he give rizq, does he give sustenance to the world in a manner that is just or not? So you need to take position here. And this is where you start seeing, and we talked about that when we presented the attributes of God. We said some of them are more important than others because others derive from them. So you cannot really talk about an attribute that requires knowledge to be valid before establishing knowledge. You can't talk about an attribute, otherwise, it's partial. You can't talk about a Attribute of God that requires power if you haven't established power in general first So you have to establish Qudra you have to establish Qadir all-powerful first and then you establish all the Attributes that fall under Qadir Okay, well the same thing with Adl if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not just then it changes those attributes So it's very important for stuff that we've already covered Which falls under Tawheed? the next Factor of importance for Al-Adl al-Ilahi are the Usul, Usul al-Din, that we have not covered yet. Depending on what you believe in matters of Al-Adl al-Ilahi, whether God is just or not, it's going to change your belief about nubuwa and religion in general, so about prophethood and what the prophets are sent with and whether they even need to be sent or not. And Ma'ad, afterlife. Depending on what you believe about the problems of evil in the world and whether God is just or not, you're going to have a different view, a different position about how Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la is going to reward you, how Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la is going to punish you. So this is all going to be covered in Al-Ma'ad. But if I have not established divine justice first, I cannot say, and because God is just, then this is going to be the reward, or this is going to be the punishment. Okay? The same thing can be said about Nubuwa. So this becomes kind of like a, a link in this chain of beliefs. Al-Adl al-Ilahi becomes very important. We are, we're going to, either we say it's implied, everybody agrees with it. But what we saw is, uh, actually everybody does not agree with it. And I'm going to come to the important point at the end, to remind how, to the extent to which this is not agreed upon. The three last reasons, quickly. The first one, I think, is the most relevant and most important one. And it's a psychological reason. So for every human being themselves, as they go through life, psychologically, life is going to be different for you, depending on whether you believe in a God that is just or not. And the majority... Of the problems that fall under mental health as a big theme, have a direct link to this topic. So if I think that life is miserable and depressing because of all the issues and all the problems and it has no meaning and I have too much stress because of that and I don't know what to do and I'm not I don't know what's the next best thing for me to act on and so on and so forth and all of that Is because you're not really convinced that there's a, a just God in there somewhere. You are unhappy, you are lost, you are confused, you are unsure about the type of world you live in. You're unsure about the type of God that has put that type of world in front of you to deal with. Okay? And a lot of the issues that today are under the general heading of mental health, this is a good starting point. For someone to really understand this, you know, this chain of beliefs from, is there a God? What kind of God is it? And more specifically, how just is he? And what is the real meaning of divine justice? Okay? And we said that's why I'm, I'm keeping the more concrete, tangible questions about this to the next gathering. Okay? Keep it in mind. The next, so that's that's more at the individual level. But there's also a collective level. So if as a society, as a community, as a religion, as a madhab, as a school of thought, you say my belief system is based on five pillars. And the second one, the first one is God's existence and attributes. The second one is his justice. So justice becomes your second value, your second belief element. If this is what you're presenting to the world, and what you actually believe, it already signals the importance you're going to give to justice. And this has a social role. You're basically going to be part of a community, internally and what you're presenting to the world, where justice is extremely important. And this is not the same as someone who, you know, justice might be an afterthought, something secondary you're openly placing divine justice or justice for short as one of your main belief one of your main beliefs so there's a god and i believe in justice and this justice is not just random i didn't just make it up it's because it derives from god's justice which means that this is the type of society we're supposed to build this is the type of world i have to aspire to this is what i have to work towards Whether you want to be activist about it or not, it clearly signals the kind of belief system that you adhere to. Which is completely different from someone who, you know, is going to be a lot more wishy-washy, a lot more relative when it comes to justice. What does it really mean? And, no, no. For us, it's loud and clear. Justice is part of our belief system. So, if you believe, and this is a a big topic that we're not going to talk about now, But the link is very clear if you think about it. What we try to do, what we try to create, what we think exists in the world is supposed to be a manifestation of God. And a manifestation of what we call divine manners and divine attributes. So this is when we're going to talk about prophets and we're going to talk about Imams. We're going to see that they are representatives of God on Earth. So if I establish divine justice, I'm also going to expect, of course, not in the absolute divine sense, to the sense that a human being can be, I'm going to expect every human being to be just. If God is just, then he expects human beings to be that way. If you go back to the Thitra, if you go back to your nature, to your instinct, you're supposed to be just. You're supposed to recognize justice. And if it's not there, you're supposed to work to recreate it. Okay, so this is a social component, the social dimension to this whole theme. The last reason, let's call it, for studying this topic or the importance of this topic is that from where I'm sitting as I look at the books and the lectures and the debates and the, let's call it the intellectual landscape of the world. Okay? Anyone who's interested in what's going on at the intellectual level in the world. No one can debate the fact, argue with the fact that the problem of evil in the world, if it's not, you know, the most discussed, most problematic issue, then it's a second one after the existence of God. And that changes everything. And we've talked about that. We said human beings follow two categories. Either you are Atheistic human being and that everything else fo- follows from that So there is a God at the center of your worldview and everything else is a detail of that or you're not and then everything else is a detail of that and If you haven't done that reflection you need to do it at some point Okay to be consistent with yourself. You need to make that distinction clear for you. You have to know who are you as a human being and the first question is, is there, in your worldview, in the manner in which you experience the world and you interpret the world, is there a God at the center or not? Everything else becomes a detail of that. This is what's going to make you put energy in one place and not in another. This is what's going to make you follow a desire or not follow a desire. If that question is answered, everything else just should follow logically. Sometimes it's very obvious, sometimes it needs two minutes of thinking. But everything derives from that. The issue of evil in the world is almost like that. Today, if you go through the books, let's say, of the existence of God, there are huge philosophers and thinkers, some of them, you know, the big Christian apologists, those people who, you know, they're trying to evangelize others, trying to present the gospels to the world and the good news and all of that. Even for some of them, even for some of the thinkers who have written books trying to prove to everybody else why God exists. If you go through their books, if you listen to their lectures, some of them, for instance, in one book, there's an author who says, what I'm going to do in this book is I'm going to make you go through my th- thinking for whether there is a God or not. And the guy is, a, uh, is an expert in probabilities and statistics. Okay, he's a mathematician. And he says, I'm going to come at it from my angle. So I'm going to look at the probabilities, whether there is a God or not. And so he goes through the arguments, and at the end, he proves that God exists. God most likely exists, so I believe in God. And it does not make sense mathematically for me not to believe in God. Not believing in God does not make sense mathematically. At the end, I believe in God. That's not the problem. But if you actually read the whole book, you'll see that there is a couple of chapters where he talks about the problem of evil in the world. And even for this guy, so this is not just for him, obviously he wrote the book and published it telling the world, you know, I think this is the truth, I think you should all believe in God and here's the math to prove it. Even for someone like that, so obviously he he cares and believes in God enough to try to, you know, make the, 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 the argument, state the argument to everybody else. He has a couple of chapters where he's talking about the problem of evil in the world. And in there he says, because he's going for, so based on all of this, this is every chapter, based on all of this, and he presents a whole lot of information, what's most likely, that there is a God or that there isn't? And when he talks about the problem of evil in the world, his conclusion is, most likely there isn't. Okay, so those are, in his mind, when he goes through the problems, the challenges, the difficulties of the world, he says, most likely, if you look at only that, then most likely there is no God. Why am I talking about this? Because I'm saying that the issue of evil in the world is a big one. And it's not only a big one for, like, us trying to impose it as, you know, and this is one more thing, that's part of the curriculum, everybody should be studying it, no. It's that everybody who is, you know, a thinker in the world, has to at some point be very clear how they're positioned about the problem of evil in the world. Is there evil or not? I don't think anyone, you know, who's a realistic human being can say there is no evil. It's just how do you interpret it and then where do you position yourself with regards to why is it there? Is it is it compatible with a god or not? So, I'm saying even those who believe in God have a huge problem with the problem of evil in the world. This is not clear in the mind of most people. One and then, this is one of the main tools used against those who believe in God. So if you go to the Richard Dawkins and the Sam Harrises and the others, of course, you know, in 30 seconds they'll say, well, if this is the kind of world we live in, it, there cannot be a God. And if there was a God and he's all-powerful like you state, then he wouldn't have created this world. And, you know, if he did and he still did it this way and he could have created something else, then he's a jerk and why would I worship that kind of God? End of story. Right? And it's simplified like that and that's it. And if you can't answer me in like the next 10 seconds and it's, you know, you don't know anything and, you know, you're backwards and you're, you know, they're not very illuminated or scientific mind or all of that. Okay, so the problem of evil in the world is a big one for all of these reasons and today, specifically for us, as people, as communities, as a religion, it's a big one too. And we need to address it, like, you have to give it it's proper value and it's proper weight and importance just like the problem of Does God exist or not? And we went through those proofs that inshallah everybody understands them and they feel confident You know talking about them. Okay, so very quickly the recap of what we have said so that we can build on it and kind of wrap up the topic and the next time we meet So now we're just talking about the generalities of the high level. What have we said? We have to start with the first question what do we mean when we say "adl"? When we, what do we mean when we say justice? If you look at the language "adl," okay, there's two big meanings that we refer to. The big one, linguistically, in the language, when you say, and I'm always going to try to do that, and you should have that as a as a reflex too. The word may have a different meaning in. Arabic in general, versus how it's used in theology, or how it's used in fiqh in law, or, okay? So always keep that in mind. They call the first one al-ma'na al-istilahi. the second one. It's a term. When something becomes a term, it's being used in one specific field. If you use it in another field, it may have another meaning, because it's a term. It's not just a word in language in general. Adl should usually mean for anyone who hasn't thought about anything, and you just hear adl, you should have an equal sign in your mind. It basically is an equal sign, right? So if you think justice, there are two sides, and there's an equal sign uh, sign between them. That's justice, right? So this is what we would call equality. Equality would be adl. The truth, however, is that when this is applied to human life how we live as human beings, this is not what we actually do. There was a time when it was all about equality. Today, even in these societies that have gone through enough mistakes and enough problems, they themselves do not believe in equality. So there's another term that has been introduced, and that's equity. Right? So how do you establish equity? You don't look at the beginning, you look at the end. You can't say everybody has to start equally. Because some people have been disadvantaged by their lives, by their social conditions, by this, this, and that, that you cannot expect people to perform in the same way. So what you're going to try to do is to create an equal opportunity for everybody at the end, not at the beginning. Anyways, I'm not going to go into a whole discussion about equality and equity. If you look at something only by itself, and you expect, let's say, the same behavior, from different entities, and you don't care what the entity doing the behavior is, you're going to say that's equality, you know? I expect people to, you know, be well-mannered, and if they enter a uh, a museum or a library, they cannot just start, you know, running around and, and making a lot of sound. Because it's equality. The same thing applies to everybody. The law applies to everybody equally. Okay, but what if the person or the thing doing the running and the screaming, What if it's a child of two years old? You're going to treat them the same way as a 40-year-old, you know, scholar coming from university? No. Are you going to, if you look at, I don't know, a chimp, an ape, a chimpanzee is brought into the place and he starts running and making sound, do you have the same expectation? No. What changes here? The behavior is the same, but it's coming from a different entity. So you have to apply equity here, not equality. So you, if you look only at the end result, and you say, well, you know, one type of being has wings, all beings should have wings, because that's equality. Then you're going to say, of course God is not just, because he is not applying things in an equal manner. Yeah? So are we saying uh, justice is equity and not equality, or we're not saying that a We're saying that someone who has not studied religion has has not thought about it might start their their initial thought would be justice equals equality and we're saying it can definitely cannot be equality okay it has to be equity for when we say god is just what we're saying is god is applying equity not equality so just like when we looked at let's say the running and the screaming in a museum or a library When we look at the world, we have to look at how does God apply, how does God give resources? How does he apply whatever he applies in the world? Does he apply it in an equal manner or does he apply it in an equitable manner? So our claim is Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala applies it in an equitable manner. So depending on the entity receiving, depending on the purpose for which they would receive it, they might get something or not get something. So here is where we have to look at the purpose of everything's creation. For the purpose of the creation of a bird, the bird needs wings. For the purpose of the creation of a human being, a human being does not need wings. For what they were created for. They were given other tools that were not given to the bird. Okay? This is equitable. I'm going to give each of you not the same thing I'm going to give to each of you what you need in the best manner so that you accomplish the purpose you're supposed to accomplish okay that's the equitable versus equal discussion that's one point the second point is yeah there were a lot of examples and I, I don't want to repeat the examples let's say you go to a judge Two people are fighting in front of the judge about money. It would not really be considered real application of justice if the judge says, okay, how much is the money? One million dollars. Okay, split it in half, you get 500, you get 500. That's not justice. Justice would be to give the money to the one who, whose money it is. That would be justice. Equality, that's the, the, the argument, that equality is not necessarily always the good good outcome. The equal sign is not always the good outcome. Okay? So that's first thing. So what do we mean by justice? When we're talking about divine justice, we're talking more about equitable versus equal. We're not saying God is going to give equally. That's not how it works. So, if someone claims their definition of God is just or God is not just because He is not giving equally, yeah, we agree, God does not give equally. God gives equitably. And how do we know if it's equitable or not? We know based on the purpose for which the world is created and every entity when that world is created. Why is it that we are created? I receive what I need to perform my duties. Not to perform the duties of the planet, or the duties of a frog, or the duties of the person next door, okay? So that's one thing. The second thing is, and this, again, this argument, I think we've explained it enough, but this is just how human beings live too. So this should come as common sense. This is how we, what we apply, and this is what the civilized societies of today have applied in the way they've constructed their, their societies too that it's equitable not equal and equitable is good the second argument the second point here is when we come to the world how is it created what kind of world is it so here is where we have to keep in mind these couple of bullets the first thing is we live in a material world matter by definition means competition Matter, by definition, means that you may do something with it. And if you do that, then there's a whole lot of cause and effect that follows. So that's not the purpose for which you're doing it. But because it's matter, because it's material, that necessarily follows. Okay? So if I have food, and I have ten animals, and there's only enough food for five... This is a material world, only five of them are going to get it. Okay, so the question then becomes, it's not really about what we're seeing. The question is, why is it in this manner and not another manner? Why has this type of world been created? Why is it a world of matter? Because by saying, by definition, if it's a world of matter, it means there's competition over resources. Which means that we fall in the, under the problem of what we call the evil of the world. Okay? That's the ultimate question. And we're going to come back to that more next week. But we're going to answer it now. In part, or to a very large extent, the short answer is, this is the world that God wanted to create. End of story. Okay? That's one answer. But we can actually add a little bit to that. Why did God want to create this type of world? We have to go back to the purpose. The purpose is not this world. The purpose is a next world. This world is the playground, the preparation for the next world. So what are we supposed to do here? What's the biggest thing that matter gives? What's the advantage of a material world? The biggest advantage of a material world is that there is room... For improvement. There is room to move. This is not a static world. Things are always in change. Nothing is static. Nothing is just as is. It's always moving. And if it's always moving, we have to look at it's moving towards what? Well, it's supposed to be moving towards something better. The only thing that is different in all of this system is the human being And not just a human being in general, the human being in where they have free will. This is where, when we look at that one thing in the entire universe, that one thing is different, that one thing that does not fit the pattern. Everything else is doing what it's supposed to, and going towards what's better. Everything is part of a design, and it's working like clockwork. Precision, design, everything is perfect, no issues. Where do we encounter the issues? We encounter the issues where there is free will. And even for you as a human being, in everything that you don't control, it's working fine. You don't control your heart, it's working fine. It's working perfectly. We don't have any issues with that. There's no evil in the world in the manner in which your brain works, or your stomach works, or your circulatory system works, or your respiratory system. Everything is working that, as it's supposed to. The only place where we have a discussion to to be had is when we look at the free will, the window of free will. Is that going in the direction, is that always going towards what's better or not? That's the question. And here is where we have to go back to the discussion of free will. So, let's look at the world quickly first and then look at the human being first. If I look at the world, let's say we take the example of the earthquakes, because we've used it again and again, so that the example is clear and anyone can repeat it and use it. Okay, so, earthquakes are bad. They cause destruction, people die, and so on and so forth. So, what did we say here? We said that we cannot consider that an absolute evil. This is a relative evil. So, from one angle, from the person being hurt by it, they might, it might seem like it's a evil. But in the grand scheme of things, at the level of the universe, or at the level of, you know, the history of Earth, or the history of humanity, actually, it might be a really good thing. The big theories for, for why earthquakes happen is what? Either the tectonic plates are moving, right? And why do they move? One theory says it's because of everything happening from below. So the gases and the heat in the middle of the Earth, the center of the Earth, are causing the tectonic plates to move. And that's a part of the reason. What's the other part of the reason? They say it's because of the Moon. The Moon has a gravity on Earth that's always making everything on Earth shift. So it's as simple as what they call the ebb and flow of the ocean, right? So at night when the Moon comes out, there's gravity that wasn't there during the day that pulls the water back. So if you go to the beach, you'll see that the water is really, really much further on the beach than it is during the day. It could be, you know, hundreds of feet in certain places. Why? It's because the ocean has been pulled back by the gravity of the moon. Well, if it's doing that at what we can see, it's also doing it what we can't see, and over time, like making the crust of the Earth move, which is what we call earthquakes. So that's all bad? Well, actually, maybe not. Because when those things happen, it allows human beings to live in areas that they could not live before. Of course, not the day of. But if you look at 200 years later, that land that was completely barren, maybe now it's a completely fertile ground. Where you can come and plant things and have agriculture and build an entire civilization. Because of an earthquake that happened. That's an example. Another one is the minerals that will come out. There's no way for us to get to those minerals unless we dig for, you know, 200 years. And then suddenly all those minerals have come up. And now human beings have a source of fuel and energy for hundreds of years. It's easy to say all of this is evil. Actually, it's an evil where we've built our entire civilization upon. Or if you look at the moon, and there's not time right now to talk about the moon, A lot of researchers have said, if there was no moon, life would not have ever started on Earth and would not have been sustained on Earth. We need the moon to have life on Earth. And this is a huge topic. Go back. There's entire documentaries and books written about this. So it's easy to say earthquakes are bad. Yes, an earthquake may be bad for someone experiencing the earthquake in a negative manner, but that's relative. It's not an absolute evil. And the fact that there is a moon and that it has gravity on earth has much greater good than evil. But are there some negative impacts from that? Yes. This is what we meant when we say it's a material world. For me to have that outcome, which is the greater good, I have to be willing to accept the relative evil in there. This is the kind of world that we have. We go to a human being. Is it better for human beings to exist or not to exist? In philosophy, very quickly, they'll say existence is better than non-existence. Okay. So now there is existence. It's better for human beings to exist than not to exist, so God creates them. Is it better for an entity to have free will or not to have free will? It's better to have free will. Otherwise, you know, this table can't go anywhere. It doesn't have free will. And I have free will, so I am a higher level of being than this table. And I can determine for myself what happens. Okay, but this is a problem. So because of that free will, so my existence in itself is good. My free will, my having a free will in its, on its own is a good is a good thing. Now I may decide to use that free will to do something evil with it. So, is there evil? Yeah, there is evil. Is this an absolute evil? No, it's not an absolute evil. It's a relative evil. For God to allow free will to exist, He must allow evil to come out of that free will. And that's the greater good. The greater good is not that everybody does good. That's not the greater good. Not for the kind of world that God wanted to create. Which is a test and a playground for us to see what we're going to do with the free will we've been given. For this kind of world, the greater good (coughs) is to give free will. It is to put to the moon so that it creates gravity. Will that gravity sometimes create an earthquake? Yes. Will the people sometimes use free will to do evil? Yes. But that's part of the type of world that it is. To have the greater good, you have to be willing to live with the relative evil. Okay. The next question then is, so why is there this relative? Why did it have to be this type of world? And in short, and this is what we're going to explain a little bit more next time. In short, it's because of what God wanted from this world. Why does it have to be in this way? Why does it have to be a world where there are evils, and where there are difficulties? So we gave a partial answer. One, it's a material world. Two, it's a greater good. Okay, but couldn't God have created one where it doesn't have to require this additional relative evil from time to time? Or a lot of relative evil, but all that relative evil compared to the grand scheme of things is still very relative. Couldn't God have avoided that and created a world where that doesn't exist? Of course he could have. With everything we've said, of course he could have. But that would not have created a world that satisfies the purpose for which this world is created, which is what? Which is the test, which is to see how we're going to handle the difficulties. The difficulties, they are secondary, but they are an intentional secondary. You know, it's not an afterthought, that God created the world in a way, and then he realized, oh, whoa, wait a minute, if I put the moon here, now it's causing earthquakes, I didn't think about that, but you know what, there's more good in here, so let's just keep it going. That's one way, if we don't finish the argument and say, no, no, even that earthquake that's happening as a result of the gravity of the moon, that was intentional. Okay, and this is what we're going to drill down because we can't give one answer here There's a lot of answers and we're going to lump them into four or five categories and here's where we're I think it, it might be good and, and Important and, and relevant for us to go a little bit more into the ayat and the rawayat And then when we go there, you'll see what the verses mean. They're not contradicting each other Why are there difficulties and problems? Sometimes it's for our own good and sometimes it's for the good of someone else. Always for the greater good. Always. But it doesn't mean the greater good is not always going to be my good. Me, personally. And a world where it's all about me, 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 would not have created that purpose. And it would not be the best world for me to end up in heaven or hell at the end. Which is the entire purpose. Where do I want to land and am I willing to do what it needs to be done to land there? That's the point of this world, and I'll finish with this, related to the topic. As we've said all along, always keep this in mind, for the issue of evil in the world. If all you want to look at is the life of a human being, from birth to death, and you want to count, let's say, for every evil that they encounter and every issue that they have, there are some people, let's say, for every problem and issue, you put a minus. And for every good thing, and every pleasure, and every desire, and every comfort, and luxury, you're gonna put a tick, or a plus. Some human beings are gonna get a lot more minuses than ticks and pluses. Some people have very difficult lives, some people have... And of course, uh, you know, uh, an evil and an evil are not gonna be equal. Okay, one of them is gonna be a huge evil, and then the other one is gonna be, you know... You know, I, I didn't study, so I flunked an exam. Yeah, that's a difficulty, but that's not the same as you know, someone who's murdered, let's say. Okay, so not all the evils are equal here. And if we look at all of that, there are people who have very difficult lives. There are people who are going to be a lot, with all the explanations that we're going to give, there are people who are going to have a lot more minuses than pluses at the end. And if we want to adopt the point of view of the majority of the thinkers, I'm going to say 98% of the people who talk about this topic, there's one item that they do not talk about. And that's very problematic. They, they want to justify, even those who explain. They're explaining that, you know what, there are no absolute evils, it's all relative evils, absolute evil does not exist, it cannot exist because it's pure non-existence. That's what it is, okay? We'll talk more about that one day. Evil does not exist, and we have all the reasons, and here's why you have to accept the world as it is, and so on and so forth. Those people are trying to show that God is just, and the world is a good place. But that's not very realistic. Because there are people with a lot more minuses than pluses. So there will not be an answer to this question. Unless we add that one item at the end, which is, it's not about this world. If you want divine justice to work, you cannot say this world is fair between the moment you're born and the moment you die. That's not fair. It's not going to be fair. For some people, it's going to be a much nicer, much more comfortable life. And to some people, it's going to be a horrible life. And the majority of people are somewhere in between. Okay? Where it's going to become a just world is if you add and there's an afterlife. And that you're going to be rewarded. And that nothing is lost. And that every effort you put in, you get reward for. And every act, and every difficulty, and every... You know, it's not about what you accomplish as an accomplishment. It's what you have to do to do it. To get there. It's all about your effort. It's all about the energy that you have put in. So someone who puts in more energy is going to get more reward. Now, now we're starting to create a system Where it's going to be just if I have much more difficulty in this life, and I say that this is not lost That's a completely different system than saying no no this world is fair on its own just this world on its own by the time you die everything You know karma and everything will have played out in a way that is just fair for everybody That's just not realistic, and it's not true some people are going to have much tougher much more difficult lives Some societies are going to have much more difficult existence over hundreds of years sometimes than others. How is that fair? On its own, if you're only looking at this world, that's not fair. The truth is it's not fair, but it's not meant to be. But it's not meant to be because what's meant to be is that you realize that there's another world and that these two are part of one. This is where the, the issues, the tests, the difficulties happen. So that everything is rewarded, one way or another, as soon as you die. And then you're told, how did you perform? You were just in the exam. You are in a three-hour exam right now. Of course it's tough. Some questions are tougher than others. Some people may have a more difficult exam than others. But that's not the point. The point is, you leave the exam and you get something for what you just went through. Okay? So this is always going to be the, the final point. Always keep in mind, if you're in a discussion or you're thinking about it, do not limit, do not reduce the entire discussion of evil in the world, difficulties in the world, problems in the world, to what happens to the life of a human being between the time they're born and they die in this world. If you do that, you're not going to be able to find your answer to how is this world fair. It's not fair. That's not the point of this world to be fair. Otherwise someone like Imam Hussein would not be killed. That's not a fair world. That's not the point here. And people at that level of wisdom and understanding, they realize that. That's why they don't care. They're not trying to make it fair. They're trying to do what they can for themselves and for everybody around them to create the best world possible here and in the next. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be fair for everybody. And if you live in that world, then you're going to have a lot of problems trying to justify Why there's so much evil in the world. Okay? So next time we meet, inshallah, we're going to go into a lot more detail and give concrete answers. How come is it, we're going to talk about specific people, like you and I, and people we know. How is it that there are people who have problems in their lives? So we gave the general answers. We're going to drill down and give the categories of answers. Why is it that... Sometimes people get a horrible disease, and they die too young, or they have children who have a a sickness or an illness, for instance, or, or, or. How do we justify that? We gave the elements, the main principles, so what we're going to do next time is we're actually going to drill down into the, the specific answers to those questions, and repeat some of the objections that we've said before about this whole topic. So what do we do about death, and what do we do about... Problems of evil in the world in general. Okay? Wassallahu alayhi wa siddhna Muhammad wa alayhi wa ta'ibeen al-tahiriyin.